Dr. Phil, welcome to the show. Well, Gabe, thank you for having me. Anytime I get a chance to uh, shine a light on uh, this mental health narrative in America, I'm first in line. I don't mean to be Pollyannish about this, but I believe in the spirit of people in America. We have the ability to land on our feet. You're listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast where experts share experiences and the latest thinking on mental health and psychology. Here's your host, Gabe Howard. Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Gabe Howard, and this is the first Inside Mental Health podcast clip show. Today, we're going to be looking back at some of the great guests we've had over the past year, starting with one of my personal favorites, international singing superstar Alanis Morissette. Let's hear what she had to say about the reaction to her first album being released worldwide and being labeled as angry. I'm thinking of the jagged little pill days Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, all the way back in 1995, everybody said this album is so angry. It's so angry. I I don't like this. It's so angry. And and I want to be honest, 1995, Gabe. I believed it. I was like, yeah, well, she's angry. She's pissed off, right? Mm. And now now it's 2022. I've heard the album a million times. I still own the CD. And there's one song. There's one song that you could, depending on how you listen to it, interpret it as anger, and that's mm-hmm. You Ought to Know. The rest of them were like super cheerful. Well, there's a song called Right Through You on there that's a little, a little testy. But for me, if someone's going to one-dimensionalize it out of the gate, I'll take angry. I don't mind. Anger is actually a really good friend of mine. Not the destructive actings out of anger, but but anger itself. So I'll take it. If it must be one-dimensionalized and reduced, I'll take anger. <laughs> but it's only one-dimensionalized and reduced because you're a woman, right? Men have put out much angrier albums that don't get that tag. Has Has this followed you around your career where they just assume that you're bitter? Instead of it being an awesome breakup song, it's a bitter, pissed off song. Well, I think what wound up happening going into radio stations and otherwise was that people were confused. Their sense was that I would walk in and just be raging and likely knocking things over and acting out. But then I would come in and be irretrievably Canadian and relational, you know, so, so I think there was confusion as to how can this person who's socially graceful be so angry and how can this, yes, how can this female be so angry? And it was a real opening for the multitudinousness to be included in all humanity, not just women, non-gender men bodies, just everybody. We all have the part of us that is angry. We all have the part of us that has the capacity to be jubilant and joyful. We have all these millions of parts in us. So for anyone to be reduced to one thing is a violence, and it's ridiculous. I I embrace anger a a lot. I I live with bipolar disorder. I've I've gone through depression. I've certainly been suicidal. And and one thing that I learned about anger is there's sort of an empowerment with it, right? Like anger is the first step toward action. Yes. I mean, I'm happy to have emotions define me if that's what we're going to go with. But we're we're such beautifully complex creatures, right? We have our thoughts. We have our behaviors. We have our soul. We have our... (laughs) We have our senses, we have our intuition, we have all these parts. Anger is just one part of it. You know, and anger, I, I completely agree with you. So many times in, in the midst of deep, swampy, quicksandy depression, I've been livid, <laughs> just repressed, sublimated lividity. <laughs> so for me, as soon as I express it, whether it's in a therapeutic context or with a friend, a trusted, safe friend, as soon as I express it and articulate it, it moves. So for me, it's about 
uh, having the energy become unstuck. So I have to just stay responsible and look at every element of what causes depression, every element of what causes certain thoughts to come streaming in and keep me in that state of depression and anxiety. One of the things in my life that is sort of giving me, I don't know, an existential crisis is how I see things differently as I've aged. And your album, when it first came out, I honestly thought that Jagged Little Pill referenced drugs. Like that was where 17-year-old mm-hmm. Gabe's could. mind was. Yeah, smart. Yeah, then then 10 years later, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and I decided that Jagged Little Pills were the psychiatric medications. <laughs> the reality is I, I have no idea where you came up with it. Maybe you just thought it was cool. Well, it's all of it. It's all of it. Is there a mental illness component to that name? Um, of course. I mean, it's it's basically, it can be a metaphor. It can be literal. It can be figurative. It can be energetic. It can be just a turn of phrase to imply that when I'm hearing tough feedback, when I'm hearing something that is hard for me to hear, let's say it's someone's marking a blind spot and it's like, oh gosh, I know I need to hear this, but it's tough to hear. That's the jagged little pill. The most popular guest we've ever had on the show was Jeanette McCurdy. Jeanette was one of the stars of Nickelodeon's popular comedy, I, Carly. And last year, she released a memoir with the startling title of I'm Glad My Mom Died. With a title like that, I had a lot of questions. Are you really glad your mom died? I am. I I quit therapy initially when my first therapist had suggested that my mother was abusive. I couldn't tolerate that information. Uh, I was in no way ready to accept that reality. And it was several years before I was able to kind of recommit myself to therapy and really face the reality of, of my past and come to terms with it, including that I was glad when my mom died. I think anybody uh, who has experienced abuse from a, from a parent has this need to kind of protect and preserve the narrative of their parent being good. And that's, I think, largely because of society's judgment and the stigma around being honest with with the reality of what your upbringing was and, and what your parent was like. But it's, it was really important to me, not only for myself, but also for anybody else who's experienced parental abuse, to just say the truth and not sugarcoat it. I think people deserve more more honesty. Did you have to sacrifice any relationships because of this? Was there anybody that said, look, I, I'm, I'm not going to stand by while you speak ill of your mother? No, the people who are in my life by the point that I started writing a book, which was a year and a half ago, are, are my, my true friends and family. And those people I trust will be with me forever. Those relationships are really strong. I feel a lot of support from them. The next guest we're going to hear from is stand-up comedian Paul Gilmartin. Paul is also the host of the most popular mental health podcast in the world, Mental Illness Happy Hour. Now, even before I started Inside Mental Health, I was a fan of Paul's podcast and mental health advocacy, so it was very exciting to get to talk to him. I got to tell you, his trademark style was visible right from the start. Hey everyone, I'm your host Gabe Howard and calling into the show today, we have the host of the popular podcast, Mental Illness Happy Hour, Paul Gilmartin. His podcast has won so many awards, I simply don't have time to list them. Paul, welcome to the show. It took me a minute to get to the mic, Gabe. I was tripping over my awards. (laughs) I've run out of room to store them. I am so jealous. I mean, I I won one award and and I still like I wear it around my neck. You you could build like a car out of the stuff that you've won. It's I'm glad it's a mental health podcast though. Like if it can't be me, I'm glad it's you. We're all on the same side. Right, right. I just I'd rather be above you though. I mean, I just I, I want to make that clear. 
I just, if anybody understands that, Gabe, it's me. <laughs> listen, if you are on the fence about listening to Paul's podcast, you should just listen to the episode that I'm on because that is clearly the best one that you've ever done, right? You can you can vouch for that, right, Paul? Hands down. A minute into it, I almost said, why are we even doing this? Because it's going <laughs> to ruin all the other episodes. And so I almost stopped. And then I thought, no, Gabe's going to take this the wrong way because he's crazy. <laughs> I, I do. I do have issues, Paul. Now, I, I have so many questions. And and what I want to talk about, you, you started out as a comedian, like, mm-hmm. you know, podcast wasn't even invented. You were just, I mean, you moved to LA and you're like, mom, I'm going to be a comedian. And, and you were, and you were a successful comedian. And then one day you decided, hey, I'm going to start a podcast. Now, now that I can understand, but why mental illness of all the available topics, a mental illness podcast? It was actually the topic before deciding to make it a podcast. Really? Yeah. I'd, I've been taking meds since 2000, been in therapy on and off since the late 80s, been seeing a psychiatrist since 2000, go to support groups, treat my depression, process all my shit. Been doing that for years. And in 2010, I was like, I don't think I need meds. I think I'm going to go off them. Went off them. It's not an uncommon story, but. Not at all. Not at all. I'd done it before. And when I'd done it before, the depression would come back within a month or two. I'd go back on them. Well, this time I felt good for about five months. So I thought I really don't need meds anymore. And then I started getting really sad. And I thought, well, maybe it's just because it's between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And then I somebody, I was in a support group meeting and somebody was talking about a suicide attempt. And I found myself feeling kind of jealous. And I thought something is wrong. And it occurred to me, oh, my life really doesn't suck. I just need to go back on my meds because nothing in my life had changed except my perception of it. And I was doing all the stuff I'm supposed to do, you know, go to my meetings, exercise, try to eat right, share my feelings, all that, all that stuff. And still I felt terrible. So that's why I I knew, oh, the meds was the only thing that's changed. And I thought I've been doing this for a decade and I got fooled by it. And I believe that mental illness is a real thing. Imagine somebody out there that believes that therapy is weakness, you know? Unfortunately, a lot of people believe that they are wrong to be clear. Right. Yeah. Imagine what a hill that person has to climb to ever get to a place of mental health. And I thought there needs to be a conversation about this that can reach people that don't want to listen to something that's academic, that don't want to listen to something that's new agey, that don't want to listen to something that's somebody like Dr. Phil shouting at you about what you need to do. And I thought, you know, I think I could probably foster a conversation that might be entertaining about this with some jokes thrown in, but throughout it, just kind of vulnerability and honesty and that might bring some people in and help some people. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the 
must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Gabe Howard here to tell you about the Inside Bipolar podcast from Healthline Media. He does the show with me, Dr. Nicole Washington, a board-certified psychiatrist. That's right. A guy living with bipolar and a psychiatrist team up to discuss living well with bipolar disorder. Listen now on your favorite podcast player or visit psychcentral.com IBP to learn more. Subscribe now so you don't miss out. And we're back with the first ever Inside Mental Health Podcast clip show. That's right. We're taking a look at some of the great guests we've had in the past year. And one of the greatest was Brooke Burke. Brooke was the host of E! Network's travel show Wild On, and she also hosted Dancing with the Stars before launching the Brooke Burke Body Fitness app. I do not have children, so I'm not even a working parent. So I asked my sister, who is the married working mother of a very energetic eight-year-old, what is on the top of her mind when it comes to her own self-care? And she said that she is worried about being an almond mom. Now, I've never heard the term almond mom, but it's a TikTok phrase that basically means that parents are worried that by taking a healthy interest in their own lifestyles, better eating, exercises, etc., they will inadvertently give their kids a skinny or unhealthy body image. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, their children will become obsessed with weight loss, looks, etc. Now, my sister points out that our whole family does struggle with weight and body image issues and that while it's important to be healthy, it's also important to love your body. So her very specific question for you, Brooke, was how does she ensure that she doesn't pass along her body issues to her daughter? This is a really important topic. Um, you know, I haven't heard that term either, almond mom, but I'm going to stick that in my brain right now and take that home with me. Um, you know, the relationship with food, I think, is sometimes a fragile one. I'm raising three daughters. I have a son. My fiance has two kids. So there's a whole lot of everything. Because I'm in the health and wellness industry, I have to be extra careful with the words that I choose and the way that I approach my own relationship with food. And it's tricky. Um, leading by example is a great concept. Easier said than done. I have to lead by example and encourage my children and guide them. But at the same time, I have to let them be children. I have to let them make their own choices and not try to necessarily instill all my views on them. It's funny. Oftentimes I ask my children to work out with me or come and take my class because I teach wellness classes and I guide people on property. And everything that mom does is slightly boring and not hard enough or not fun enough or not cool enough. So I give them grace in that. But it really is my responsibility to stock my home with mindful things. I spend a lot of time in the kitchen with my kids. We cook together. We shop together. I love that they know how to prepare a meal, but I also have to let them be kids, you know? So I do my best. I encourage. I prepare them with great options, and then I let them make their own choices. And I have to choose my words carefully, how I address myself, my body, my, my own habits. It's tricky. I imagine that it's very tricky. You know, in, in writing questions for this podcast, one of the things that I wanted to say was, how do you achieve balance? Uh, but luckily, I researched you, and I know that you do not <laughs> like the term balance. Why not? What's wrong with having balance in your life? I mean, if we look up the, the definition, it's really about a moment where everything is equal, and I don't think that's realistic. And I, 
I joke around about the concept of balance all the time because I think it's wishful thinking. I think it's too much pressure. I think things go wrong. I think life is hard. I like to focus more on managing the chaos and managing the days where things are imbalanced and when days are hard and everything isn't exactly the way I wanted it to be, which is most days, <laughs> to be honest. So I'm not striving for that. I'm not striving for perfection. I'm, I'm not guiding other women to try to get everything right. And we have so many expectations. So I've learned to surrender, especially as a mom, as a working woman, as a woman in and of itself. I've learned to just accept a little bit more, expect a little bit less, and then strive to manage it all. I wish my life was balanced. That would be probably boring. I, I don't know if that's even realistic. I don't know. It sounds like you feel about balance the way a lot of people feel about happy. Like happy is a goal, mm-hmm. right? You can be happy, but then people say, well, I have to be happy all the time. And that's that really sets yourself up for failure because there's so many emotions. Is that sort of the messaging that's out there that if you strive for this balance, you can't be in balance 24-7. So it's invariably, true. you're going to be disappointed. I just think it's unrealistic. I mean, let's look at happiness maybe as a verb. Maybe it's a choice. Like we wake up, we get to decide what to do with our time, how to treat our body, what our inner dialogue is going to be. Mood is a little bit more complicated (laughs) when you sprinkle in a little hormones in life. But um, I think happiness is a choice. I think balance, I just don't know if it's possible on most days. Learning how to deal with it all, the highs and the lows and the challenges, I think, is a more realistic goal. You spoke about finding your purpose in life, but many of the working moms that I talked to, that I specifically talked to in preparation of this show, they specifically stated that their purpose in life was to raise good children. And and any discussion outside of that, they were like, well, well, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. I'm a mom. This is a loaded question, but let's see. Let's see where we go with this. I think that, well, first of all, the word good, like I have a little bit of an issue with that, right? Like I want to raise children that have character. I want to raise children to be who they're supposed to be. I'm not trying to raise them to be who I wanted them to be. I got to give birth to them and give them life, but now I get to guide them through life, right? So good is, that's a lot of pressure. Um, I have good ones and strong ones and defiant ones and kids with care. I mean, I have, my kids are full of a little bit of everything, but I think a lot of women lose their self their sense of self, they've sort of become the woman behind the scenes. They forgot who they were before they became a woman. And that's always fascinating to me. And I've really been diving deep in these most recent years in that concept. Why do we lose our sense of self? And how do we get back to that? And how do we allow ourselves to be equally important? My children are for sure my priority, but I remember who I was before I had children, the evolution of who I am today. And I allow myself to be equally important And I think a lot of women build their whole life around motherhood. Amazing, dangerous, um, and we're so many other things besides just mothers, right? And it's a complicated concept, and I like working with women in that space. And I think we're worthy of that. I think we're worthy of being a lot of things besides being a mother, even though that's like my favorite role. But I'm a lot of things besides that. If you're interested, we actually have a video of my conversation with Brooke available on both Healthline and Psych Central's YouTube channels. And that brings us to my wife's favorite of all the guests we've ever had on the podcast, Will Wheaton. In fact, we had such a great interview with Will that we actually turned his interview into two separate episodes. This clip is from the first one. I eventually recognized I need to have compassion and empathy for myself. The person who wrote Just a Geek in 2004 was really struggling and really hurting a lot and really doing the very best that he was capable of doing. The person I was then was doing his best. 
It is nowhere close to what my best is now, which is awesome. If my best when I was 28 was still my best when I'm 49, I would not have grown at all. I think we have this impulse to look back on things that are embarrassing or regretful or gross and hang on ourselves the responsibility to be literally the only person in all of human existence to never have done something that they regretted. And when that happens, we end up feeling like, well, I just want to forget about this and delete it from the internet or whatever. I did not have that privilege. It was out there. These are my words. These are my thoughts and beliefs. You know, Will, the most common theme of your book, you you really talk about misogyny, homophobia, and how regretful you are that you put that forth all the way back in 2004. What led you to have this change of heart? What did you learn over the ensuing 18 years that made you realize that 2004 Will wasn't handling this well? I just grew up. I think there was a real particular kind of comedy that my generation was exposed to. And there was this belief inside of me that if I said things that were offensive, but I didn't mean them, it didn't matter because I was like kind of being ironic or kind of making fun or kind of saying something. And I, that none of that is true. It was just lazy. It was lazy and easy and super, super regretful. I was just like, nah, man, I'm going to be irreverent and I'm going to be like, nobody's going to tell me what to do. That was just kind of the attitude I had. And it was real kind of adolescent and embarrassing to see that. I think maybe one of one of the biggest things that changed in me was the election of 2016 and the fascism that followed it. I became aware for the very first time in my life, and this is embarrassing to admit, it happened to be very late in life. I was made aware of just how myopic and privileged I was. And since then, I have discovered the perspective and found it and realized that these times where I thought I was being funny, I was being hurtful. I didn't mean to be. And I would have argued strenuously at the time that, that you know, that is absolutely not what's going on. There are individual people who I felt I was insensitive toward and at every opportunity, I've reached out to them directly. As far as all of the sort of public missteps and like very public regrets, I'm real happy to use myself as an example. I'm really happy to stand up and just say, when you don't know, you will make mistakes. You will do regretful things. But then when you know, now you don't get that pass anymore. You have to make choices. How are you going to atone for the things you did wrong? And what are you going to do going forward? How are things going to be different? I think that it is very important that people are allowed to make mistakes, learn and grow from them. I think that's extremely important. Um, we seem to be in a moment where if a single mistake is made, that is the end of a person. And I believe that that is a reaction to systemic patriarchy that has consistently excused people's terrible behavior and allowed them to skate by with meaningless empty apologies. And I absolutely get where an entire generation is coming from. That's like, you know what? You're just another piece of shit. And just, I have no time for you. I have no patience for you. Get out. I completely understand where that comes from. I think that ultimately that is harmful. I think ultimately 
It prevents people from having the willingness to make a mistake and apologize for it. If we grow up, if we live feeling like we can never do something wrong and that no apology will be good enough, we end up either just not caring at all, because what's the point in apologizing if it's never going to change anything? That's one path people take. And then another path is to just never try to do anything because you're constantly afraid that you're going to do the wrong thing. To earlier that this is the we're tired of apologies we've had enough systemic issues have been going on for decades and this is the overcorrection how do we get away from that overcorrection because I think you're right I do think this is the overcorrection um, you know I don't know and I think that you and I as white men in our forties really need to take a seat and let someone else answer that question I think we need to particularly listen to young women of color who seem to take the absolute worst of everything from absolutely everyone and and really just listen and then work real hard to implement whatever change we are being guided toward making. Um, as I enter middle age, I turn 50 in July, and I've really made a commitment. Uh, I made a promise to myself that I will spend as much of the rest of my life as I can working to empower young people to change their world the way I wanted to change mine at a time when I felt very unsupported in trying to make those changes. So I don't think that that answer is for us to give because quite frankly, I don't think we are capable of seeing the entire picture objectively because we're right in the middle of it. I have to say one of the most interesting things Will said was when I asked him how to be an ally. It's not about you. You're not there to collect prizes. You're not there to be given pats on the back for how great and supportive you are. When we're being allies, we are saying through our actions that this is where I am at this moment in my life. I am drowning in privilege. I'm privileged in absolutely every possible way. Everything is working out extremely well for me because the world is set up to make my life as easy as it possibly can. And I have the celebrity cheat enabled. Okay. So that makes me really overpowered and it gives me just tons of extra resources. I'm going to use those resources in an effort to support people who are unsupported. Maybe the simplest thing that we can all do, all of us who, who want to think of ourselves as allies, I think maybe the most important thing we can do is use our voices, right? We have to say to other people who look like us, and I'm specifically calling out cishet white men, we have to say to each other, dude, that is not okay. I don't know why you think that's cool, but you can't do that. And that's it. Thank you so much for joining us on this look back on a few of the great guests we've had here on Inside Mental Health. We hope to continue to bring you even more amazing interviews over the months and years to come. My name is Gabe Howard, and I am the author of Mental Illnesses and Asshole and Other Observations, as well as a world-renowned public speaker who could be available for your next event. My book is on Amazon because, well, everything's on Amazon. Or you can get a signed copy with free show swag just by heading over to GabeHoward.com. And hey, can you do me a favor? Wherever you downloaded this episode, please follow or subscribe to the podcast. It is absolutely free. And share the show. Telling people about the show is how we grow. I will see everybody next time on Inside Mental Health. You've been listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast from Healthline Media. 
Have a topic or guest suggestion? Email us at show at psychcentral.com. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show or on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening.